0: Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Let's pray. So Lord, now we ask you to come and through your word and by your spirit, work this morning. Uh, Work to comfort and convict, to encourage and exhort, work to reorient our hearts towards who you are and what you've done, Lord, work in this room and every heart or work for everyone that's watching right now, Lord, we just pray that you would come and that you would do your work among us to to make us more like Jesus, to love Jesus, to have hope and assurance and joy in new and renewed faith. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are. We're back in Genesis. And today we're just going to try to remember uh, together what it's all about. So I had to go back this week and do a bunch of remembering, reading through it over and over again. And one of the things that uh, you'll remember about Genesis is how many biblical themes start in Genesis, and then work their way out from there. And one of the themes uh, that starts in Genesis that I was struck by again as I read it over and over again this week was the way that the whole story of the Bible is that God is making promises and keeping them by his power to be with his people, to be with them, uh, to be with us right now in this room through Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit to pursue us with goodness and mercy to keep going after his people. Right? We see this in Genesis 1 when God is with his people in the garden where no sin has yet ruined anything. No sin has ruined anything. We see it later in Israel when God is with his people in the tabernacle and the temple through sacrifices for sins and feasts in his presence we see it when jesus comes emmanuel his name means god with us and he lives a perfect life we couldn't live and dies the death we deserve to die to pay for our sins and first peter says to bring us to god that's why he came We see it in the sending of the Holy Spirit to all who trust in Jesus, that he dwells inside of us so that we are the new temple where God dwells, and he is our helper to sustain and keep us that we might get to him, dwell with him forever. And we see it when God ultimately will bring us to himself, where we'll dwell in his presence forever, where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Every tear, every cancer, every disease, all sin, every brokenness is done away with. And we just get to enjoy God forever. And the good news for God's people from Genesis to Revelation is that in creation, redemption, and consummation, his return to make all things new, God has made promises to redeem his people and God can keep his promises because he's all-powerful. God has made promises to redeem his people, and God can keep his promises. God is for you and powerful enough to do all that he promises, right? Both of those matter. It's good news that God is for you, and it's better news that the God who is for you cannot be stopped by anyone else, cannot be thwarted by anybody else. And this is the true God of the universe, powerful In his reign over all things. And powerful in his relationship with his people. And there is no other God like this. There's no other God like this. Every other God is wanting you to need to to serve them, to come to them, and every other God is needing you to to earn your way, not for a relationship, not to dwell, but because they want to make you subservient, right? This God, the God of the Bible, the true God, the God that is captured in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the God who says, I will come, I will lay down my life for you in your sin, I will pursue you with goodness and mercy all the days of your life until you dwell in my presence forever. And it is in meeting this God who keeps all his promises that we find our purpose, our hope, and quite frankly, everything else our souls have been longing for. (laughs) If your soul has a longing this morning, feel something deep inside you that you can't quite figure out where its place is, it's in this God. And so today what we're going to do is simply try to review the first three chapters. So I was going to try to review all of chapters 1 to 25 this week, and I only made it three chapters. Um, I think I can get through 4 to 25 next week with some quick uh, work of the text. But We're going to try to remember 1 to 3 this morning, see this God, remember what he's about, and then next week, go back to chapters 4 to 25 and into chapter 26. So let's dive in here. Point number one in Genesis 1 and 2, God's people in God's place enjoying God's presence. Now remember... When I started this way back, whenever I started this a while ago, I told you that we were going to try to preach this from a certain perspective. In other words, what we're going to try to do is preach what the main point of the author, that is Moses, was trying to communicate to a people. So lots of people have all sorts of speculations about lots of different things in Genesis. And I told you, that's what you were looking for, I was going to sorely Sorely disappoint you. (laughs) Because instead, what we're going to do is say, What was Moses under the hand of God, right, by the Holy Spirit, trying to communicate to Israel, really, when he wrote this? They'd been wandering through the wilderness, experiencing all the brokenness of the world, frustration of the world, their own sin, sin against them, wondering what was coming next, when will we finally make it home? And Moses is going to write to them here, right away in chapters one and two, and give them a big perspective of a good. And great God. As always, any questions about the dinosaurs can go to Rick Schenck or Bruce Power. But I'm gonna dive in here and say what I think the main thing is here. So in Genesis 1, 1 to 2, look there, let's remember these first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and was void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So notice the idea here in the beginning is formlessness, emptiness, darkness, and even a, a hint of chaos we find here at the beginning. And what God is going to do in his sovereign power, by his sovereign purposes, with his sovereign word, he's going to bring form and fullness and light and order and purpose to all of this. And what we'll see as the theme of Genesis and throughout scripture is that the, the word of God and the spirit of God come together and what they do is they come together to bring about this form and this fullness and this light and they do it in creation and we'll see as we unpack Genesis, they do it in salvation, and redemption. The Spirit of God and the Word of God coming together to do this. And what's going to happen in a certain pattern over and over again in Genesis 1 that points out the greatness and goodness of God. So we're just going to look at verses 3 and 4 here together and see this pattern that repeats itself over and over again. Verse 3. And God said, Let there be light... And there was light. That's breathtaking, right? God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. So here's the pattern that should take our breath away God speaks, and it happens. God speaks, and it happens, right? If we had some technology, I could probably do it, but right now, I can't say, Turn off the lights. And nothing happens. I can't, I can't build something with just my words in front of you. I can't do any of that because I'm not God, but God speaks and it happens because God is great. <laughs> That's the point of Moses. God is great. Israel wandering, wondering what's gonna happen. Remember, God speaks and it happens. That's the God you serve. God sees what He's done, and He declares that it's good. Because God is good. He's not only great, but he's good. And in the first three days of creation, this pattern continues as God forms the various parts of the earth. And then in the second three days of creation, this pattern continues as God fills those places that he's formed with all sorts of animals and creatures and stars and all sorts of things. And we're supposed to see the greatness and the goodness of God. God. Kids, some of you have probably built with blocks or Legos, right? Or maybe you've built on your video games. I know kids build things now on their video games. Have you ever been able to do that without any blocks? Have you ever been able to build something without anything? Have you ever been able to just say what you wanted to happen? Of course not. But that's God. <laughs> that's what he does. He builds things from nothing. He speaks things and they happen. He is powerful and he's precise. So just here you can hear it and you can just see the, the power of it and the, the bigness of it and the greatness of it. But as you begin to look at what he did, do you know if the earth was tilted even a half degree differently, the conditions would make it so that no human being could survive what kind of precision is that? Or if the sun was any closer, any further away at all, we wouldn't be able to survive. Right? So that is the, the greatness and the goodness of God to make this place where what? We can be. <laughs> we can be alive to enjoy his presence, made in his image to, to fellowship and worship with him. He is powerful and precise, And God does this for five days of creation. And on the last day, he gets to the crown of his creation, these human beings, us. Look at verses 26 to 28 of chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth is creator he he gets to determine what is good for the flourishing of creation and the glory of his name he creates human beings to reflect his image and to spread his beauty to spread his goodness and even to yes to spread his holy good reign all over the earth And we see that, we see that in this this beautiful unity in diversity, this beautiful togetherness in distinctness, right? Male and female, equally worthy of dignity and value and respect, both equally representing the image of God, and yet beautifully and necessarily distinct, not the same. They're made to represent him all over the earth as they multiply and fill it. If we're made in his image, and the goal is that his image would be multiplied to fill the earth, to reflect his glory, to reflect his goodness, to reflect his reign, what's the earth about? His glory, (laughs) his goodness, his reign. That's the point. That's why you're sitting here, to to reflect something of God that the world would see. There's a God who's good and beautiful and reigns. And that's who we are. Are. This is our purpose. If you've ever wondered, what's my purpose? <laughs> it's this <laughs> to represent his goodness and his beauty and his reign as those made in his image to worship God and have fellowship with God as we represent his image to all the earth. And in this moment, with man and woman created having their mission and having their dwelling place where he created, God rests. God rests. And this is the idea in this moment of rest, his people and his place enjoying his presence. It's the idea of shalom. This perfect peace, this perfect rhythm of life, this perfect rhythm of creatures relating to their creator, perfect vertical fellowship, perfect horizontal fellowship, because sin's not here yet. It's, it's all perfect. It's all right. And, and I would just encourage you this week to use your, your sanctified imagination. Just try to spend five minutes Thinking about what that would be like. I mean, do you go an hour with this ever? <laughs> There's everything going right. No problems. It's it's all perfect, but that's what it was like. Perfect fellowship. Perfect fellowship with God and with one another. God's people without sin and God's place without sin, enjoying God's good and great presence without sin. This is the moment when it was all well and right. Perfect peace. Enjoy with God, perfect peace and delight with each other, doing what they were made to do and basking in it. And then in chapter two, we get some details of like how is this thing gonna get worked out? How are we gonna continue this this perfect people in this perfect place to enjoy his presence? So in verses four to twenty-three, we kind of get some details that fill this out. Man is tasked to work and guard the garden, to cultivate the good in the garden, to, to nourish, to keep it flourishing, and to protect from evil, to protect from anything sinful getting in the garden. And there's one command, right? One command. Don't eat from the one tree. And I think that one command is there for the good of the human heart to teach the human heart how happy and good and sweet it is to simply trust the great and good creator. You say, why did he give them a command so they could sin? He gave them this command to teach them it's a good thing. It's a happy thing. It's a sweet thing. It's a it's an awesome thing to just trust him and just obey him because he's for your good. He's done all this. He's given you this garden. He's given you this place. Just trust him. And then man has a perfect helper made for him to partner in the beautiful work of cultivating the good and protecting the bad and filling the earth. It's all perfect. There's perfect joy and peace. As God's people dwell in God's place and enjoy God's presence together, gladly caught up in fellowship and gladly obeying him. And it culminates in this phrase that says they were naked and unashamed. Which I think means they're fully known by God, fully known by each other, and loved. There's no sin to mess any of it up. No brokenness to mess any of it up. There's there's nothing about ourselves that we feel like we need to hide in this moment, right? Because there's no sinfulness to mess it all up. No sin to make them hide from each other or God. No sin to ruin relationships with each other or God. And even though we see it between a husband and a wife, I'm convinced this reality extends to every interaction we have with God and each other. This is what we're longing for to be naked and unashamed, to be fully known and fully loved, just be ourselves, right, free of sin, free of all the brokenness, and just to be in his presence, in each other's presence, in perfect peace. This is what the human heart still longs to get back to. This is what our hearts long for in the best moments of, of life. Right? This is what the best moments of worship point to. Here I am before you, just pouring my heart out. you. You see me and you love me. This is what we want, right? This is what the best summer grill outs with friends are like when you're eating and drinking and laughing and you see the, the sunset and you just want to live in that moment forever, right? It's, just, it's so good. Can we just stay here forever? That's what it points to. This is what we want, this kind of perfect peace. Now, this is what the, the sweetest Moments of marriage and friendship point to or this is what the sense of awe and transcendence points to as you look at the ocean there's a, a God and I want to be in his presence this is what you kind of feel in the moment when that problem goes away like there's this health problem or this relational problem in it and it all goes away and for a moment don't you just feel like it's right like oh some relief like it's, it's how it's supposed to be At those moments of joy and fellowship and sweetness and intimacy and even those moments of relief when something gets better or goes okay are us longing for this perfect peace. Our hearts longing for perfect peace, perfect shalom, fellowship with God and each other in his goodness and greatness. And before we move on to chapter 3, let me just say, one day soon it's coming to stay. One day soon it's coming to stay. As I've thought about the... The burdens and the brokenness, those of you sitting in dark places, those of you struggling with so many issues, just want to say it loud, one day soon, it's coming to stay. (laughs) What your heart longs for will not always just be a longing, it's going to happen. (laughs) Your faith is going to be sight, right? Addictions, they can't overcome this. Promise, right? Uh, cancer that can't overcome this promise, right? Brokenness, whatever you're experiencing, it's coming, and it's going to stay. It's going to stay. Let it sink in. It's coming, and it's going to stay. Point number two: sin pollutes in distances from God's presence. Well, Satan hates the image of God. He hates it, because he hates God. And Satan was hell-bent on destroying this shalom that he was seeing happening. And the way he went about it lives on to this day. So how did, how did he do it? How I sum up what he did? And you could sum it up a bunch of different ways, but here's what I would say. He made these image bearers who were, thinking about this, living in God's perfect place, enjoying perfect fellowship, had all they could ever need and want. What he made them do is doubt, question God's word. And what that had the effect of doing is had them question if God was really good. If God really had their, their best interests in mind. So listen to the beginning of chapter 3. You can turn there. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, if we're reading this, we know what God said. Eat from all of them, except this one. And Satan says, He isn't. God, God doesn't let you eat. God's starving you. God's holding back from you. He doesn't let you eat of any of the trees of the garden. Satan's at work to try to cause doubt in the word of God and the the character of God, to question the very voice of the good and great God who made all things and had given them perfect peace in a perfect place, in his perfect presence. Well, Eve responds with Adam standing right there the whole time that God has told them they can eat of every tree, but they can't eat or even touch that one Or they will die. And I think as I read this, that doubt is already settling into Eve's mind right here. And her hearts are already starting to twist who God is and what he said. Because we don't have on record that God said they couldn't even touch it. He said, just don't eat it. And here she is going, yeah, don't eat it and don't touch it. Right now, she's, she's building new rules. She's building new walls. She's, she's saying God is just like unreasonable. Don't even get close to it. Don't cross the force field, right? Or God's going to zap you. Like that kind of idea is starting to enter her mind. So let me just say this. It's a dangerous thing to ignore God's word. And it's a really dangerous thing to think we can add more rules to God's word and it'll keep us safe doesn't work that way. It won't. What happens when we begin to conjure up these these zones of safety for ourselves that go beyond God's word is it simply makes our hearts rely on our own hopeless self restraint. (laughs) That's what it does. Good rules are good when they are from God because they keep us in fellowship with God. Extra rules, our own rules, our own legalistic tendencies to make sure that we never break the real rules that are good. They just make us God. And they make us rely on ourselves to avoid sin rather than leaning into fellowship to make sin unattractive to us. And Satan sees the opening. He goes, I distorted God's word. Now now she's distorting God's word. Eve isn't thinking anymore, right, of fellowship. <laughs> you can just feel it in this moment. She's not thinking... We get to be with God. He created us. Here we are with him. Like, this is perfect. We've had no complaints. This is, this is beautiful. Adam and I, we're getting along great. We love each other. Naked and unashamed. This is perfect fellowship with God. He, he comes and he walks with us. And he talks with us. In the cool of the day, we have everything we need. Instead, she's going, well, he is kind of a tough rule maker. Here's what he said. She's relying on her own self-restraint, and that's not going to be enough. And so Satan dives in, and he says, it's not that you'll die. It's it's not that you'll die. It's that you'll be too much like God, and that little God you serve, he's very self-protective. He doesn't want that. In other words, God is not a great and good creator who is abundantly generous to give you all you could ever need or want. But God's a killjoy. He's defensive. He's manipulative. He wants to keep you under his thumb. He doesn't want you to really have full happiness. They ignore God's word and listen to his voice. They listen to this voice of Satan who's trying to undo their hope and their trust and their faith in God. And and we still do that. We've all done this since we were little. Kids, kids. Do you ever get frustrated with your parents because you don't like their rules? No, no. Ever wish they had different rules? No, no. Maybe you think, they won't let me have fun. They're not fair. They don't know what's best. Some, of, some people are with me right now. They felt that. And that's what Adam and Eve were thinking, right? They're thinking, he's not fair. He doesn't know what's best. And this is the voice that is still at work underneath everything in our world and underneath our own sinfulness, does God really get to tell us what to do? Isn't that what the world's asking right now? Does he really get to tell us what to do? God? Some ancient, foreign, weird, cosmic killjoy? That's who you're going to listen to? That's who you're going to gather and hear about every Sunday? Are you people crazy? Does God really get to tell us what to do? Does he really know what's best? Does he really get to tell us who we can love or what gender we can be? Right? Is he even real? How would you prove it? Or maybe more close to home for us as Christians. Is one little sin really going to hurt that much? Yes. Is it really that big of a deal? Yes. One more time won't hurt anything. Right? This will feel good for a second. It will make me happy. And simple trust and fellowship and obedience is destroyed. And then I think we come to what maybe for me subjectively is the saddest verse in all of the Bible in verse 8 of chapter 3. So this is just happened. They've just taken of the, of the fruit. They've disobeyed God. Satan's undermined their trust and their hope. And here comes God. He's going to walk with them. <laughs> He's going to come walk with them in the garden. And it says, They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Imagine what we saw in Genesis 1 and 2, all that he's done, what it's like, how good it is, and here he comes. God, God's going to come walk with them and talk with them in the cool of the garden, and they hear him. And because sin has been undone, they don't trust him anymore. They hide, right? They, they make their little fig leaf sewing kits. Right? They're going to cover what's really happened. They're going to hide in the trees from the God who created the universe. Right? This is, this is like... The two-year-old that says, you can't see me. Right? That's that's what is going on here. This is what sin does. Right? It it makes us hide in crazy ways. In foolish ways. When our self-restraint fails, then we move to self-protection. We move from sin to hiding and distancing ourselves from God. But I hope what you see as we read the rest of the story is that God is merciful And he won't let us hide. God is so merciful. Like if right now, if right now you think you're hiding from God. If you think you're in this church, like hiding in plain sight, right? Because you look good and you got dressed up nice and you're in church. But like there's all sorts of hidden brokenness and hidden stuff going on in you. God is merciful and won't let us hide. He calls out to them. And he just exposes their sin. He just exposes it. This is the first step of his restoring work. This is painful. This is hard part of his restoring work, but it's loving and necessary. So anywhere you're tempted to hide from God or others right now, my prayer this morning is that you would hear this story and go, God's calling me. He's, he's mercifully going to find me. I, I, can't, I can't duck under my chair. I can't, can't put my, sole, my fig leaf sewing kit on and try to hide in the forest. God is going to find me, and that's going to be his mercy. And sadly, not only do they hide and distance themselves from God and lose vertical fellowship, but right they seek to avoid responsibility and blame others. (laughs) Right? So when God creates woman and man opens his eyes and sees her, he says, "Right, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man." He's like the first R and B single. Right? It's like the first poem. It's like the first romantic type gesture, right? This is this is man responding and going, Yes. That, that, that's what I wanted. That's what I've been looking for. And now when God comes, right, he says, It's this woman you gave me. It's this woman you gave me. It's, it's her fault. This is really on you, God. This isn't really on me. Well, what's what's changed? Eve. An Adam have changed, right? God hasn't changed. <laughs> they've, they've disobeyed his word. They've stopped trusting in his goodness and his greatness. So let me ask you this. When you are caught in something, are you ever tempted to blame shift when you realize your own sin? Well, yeah, I know I did that. But that, that's because they did that. Right? It's very obvious. You do the math with me. Well, yeah, I, I know that that, that happened. But that's really their fault. This is what the human heart does when it's confronted with its sin, right? Do you ever do this with friends or coworkers or kids or spouses? Any relationships where you've been hiding and blaming when the gospel is just for you to confess and apologize? And what we see here is the shalom and peace just breaking to the very core. Breaking to the very core and then the curse comes. The man is cursed in his work. The woman is cursed in her childbearing. The snake is cursed. The creation is cursed. They have to leave the perfect place. There's now distance between God and his people. His presence is not something just to enjoy, but something that we're now tempted to avoid, to hang on to other things. And they're no longer in his presence. He sends them out of the garden. And from that moment on, what we see in the story of the Bible is sin and suffering and disease, and division, and death will now infect every last inch of the perfection that was recently there. This is not a small break. This is not something you just need a a, a booster shot for, right? This is something that needs a complete restoration, complete heart change, complete overhaul now. And we find ourselves living in this world. Many of you today come in here groaning with creation, as Romans 8 would say, for the sins we commit and the sins committed against us, groaning in the brokenness of disease and death until the day when God returns and makes all things new. But in this mess and this brokenness, in this disobedience and this distancing, comes a bright ray of hope in the verses we read right before the sermon. So look at chapter 3 and read verse 15 with me and then read verse 21 with me. This is the application. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So in the midst of their nakedness in distancing in hiding, God looks at the poor job that they did trying to cover themselves in their own strength and he goes I'll clothe you I won't leave you as you are I'll clothe you and he mercifully clothes them they can't close themselves adequately but God likely in the first sacrifice for sin where do the animal skins come from probably from sacrificed animals, right? He clothes them, and he's moving toward them with costly sacrifice. He's still caring for them and loving them despite their distancing. So he's exposed them in their sin to bring them into reality with where they are. Now he says, now I'll cover you. I'll clothe you. Blood will be shed to make a way for you. I'm going to care for you. And then even in the curse, there's hope. Right, there's an offspring coming that will finally, fully, freely, and forever crush Satan, sin, suffering, and death. That's why in Genesis 4, right, when, when Cain is born, she says, I've gotten a man. Right? She's going, maybe this is the offspring. Right? He said there'd be an offspring. Maybe, maybe everything that just went wrong could just be made right quickly again. That's the story of the rest of the Bible. There's an offspring coming. Yes, the serpent will land a blow on his heel that will seem deadly, but this offspring will crush Satan's head. (laughs) So that sin and suffering and death will be no more. Who is the perfect offspring? Who is the one that will obey the Father, live a perfect life we couldn't live, and somehow deal the final blow to all the effects of the curse so that his blessing would flow wherever the curse is found? Listen to Matthew 1, to 23. This is why we celebrate Christmas. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. When you hear bear a son, hear offspring. <laughs> Here's an offspring. And he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here, reverse the curse. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, a bear, a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He's still pursuing his people. He still wants to be with his people. It's Jesus. And how do we benefit from that? How do we, how do we get in? Okay, here's Jesus. Here's the offspring. Here's the one who's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to reverse the curse. I want in. How do I get into that? How do I get into this Christ and into the salvation, get into this hope? Listen to Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, listen to what we have again. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're longing after, That, that peace, that relationship right here this way. And how does it happen? We're justified by faith, by trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the fulfillment of all his promises. And by his power, we can have peace with God and full peace forever full forgiveness of your sins, cast as far as the east is from the west. No longer any reason to hide from him because when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So you don't have to hide anymore. He's clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. And as God gathers his blood-bought family together by faith in Jesus, listen to what he says will happen just a little bit later in Romans. Romans sixteen twenty. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Does that sound familiar? that sound like Genesis 3 to you? It's going to bruise our heel, but we're going to crush his head. We are going to crush his head. Why? Because we're in Jesus. Because he doesn't win. By faith in Jesus, those who trust in Jesus will crush Satan under our feet. In other words, he does not have the final word with God's people. Why? Because God is still with us through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to trace a little more how God kept working to pursue his people by his promises and his power. But this is where it all ends up. With God's people in Jesus, by faith, enduring suffering, (laughs) forgiven from and fighting sin, loving each other, living in great hope in him, and just trying to make much of him in the earth. By faith in Jesus you are forgiven for your sins. Like That's the the basic Sunday school answer, right? But by faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. What good news is that today? By faith in Jesus, we're united with Jesus and God sees us covered in the righteousness of Jesus, clothing us with it like he clothed Adam and Eve through sacrifice. By faith in Jesus, we find what our souls have been looking for. Forgiveness, acceptance, hope, peace. By faith in Jesus, we have peace with God and look forward to that place of perfect peace with him forever. When he comes back and makes all things new, and he's going to come back and he's going to make all things new. By faith in Jesus, the image of God is restored in us from one degree of glory to the next so that we can again represent him and extend his reign, not by brute physical force, but by living lives of self-giving sacrifice that follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We get to model victory through suffering, (laughs) victory through sacrifice. By faith in Jesus, our worship and fellowship begins to be restored, and we know our deepest identity and deepest hope, which is being children of God, made in his image, and waiting for the day when we'll be with him. By faith in Jesus, and we're going to sing this in a few minutes, all of God's promises are yes and amen for us. Every single one. Because all of their promises find their yes and amen in him. And one day, by faith in Jesus, we'll be with him forever. Pain's going to be gone. Diseases are going to be gone. Suffering's going to be over Every tear is going to be wiped away. Isaiah has this picture where he says death's going to be swallowed up in a victory. I love that picture. Death just swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ. Never to be seen again. And we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. And until that day, he will keep us. He'll keep holding us. He'll keep pursuing us because God wants to be with his people for their good and his glory. He will keep pursuing us with goodness and mercy What's the psalm say? Until when? Until we dwell in this house forever. That's your story. It's my story. If it's not your story yet, if you don't know Jesus yet, I hope you'll come on in and make it your story today. Let me pray. So, God, uh, you are a good and a great creator. You are a good and a great redeemer. You are pursuing your people, Lord. Drawing us near when we distance ourselves. Covering us with the righteousness of Christ. Lord, we are fully known and fully loved by you right now because of Jesus if we trust in him. So that in this moment now, we're going to come and eat and drink with Jesus. At communion, Lord, in this moment, because we know we're fully known and fully loved, not because of ourselves, because you've forgiven our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west, and you've covered us in the righteousness of Christ, that we know that we can just come freely and openly and just confess our burdens, confess our pains, confess our sins, confess where we're doubting you, Lord, confess where we have been beginning to doubt or water down or even add to your word. Lord, keep us from being the kind of people that think we can keep ourselves from sin by our own self-restraint. And instead, Lord, even in this moment, draw near to us and help us experience true fellowship and true communion with you. And have it be so good that the things of this world, the sin of this world, just isn't appealing anymore. God, sever the root of our sinfulness with superior pleasures in Jesus, superior joys in Jesus. Lord, thank you that we know that death and sin and suffering and all the curse has already been dealt the decisive blow. And Lord, we agree with what Pastor David prayed earlier and we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come make all things new, wipe away every tear, swallow death up in victory. And Lord, until that day, help us More and more see Jesus and help us more and more make him known. We pray it all in his name. Amen.